This episode of The Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Sports Interaction. Sports Interaction is your homegrown sports book where local takes on an entirely different meaning, focusing on the teams, games, and players that matter to you. Sports Interaction is on the ground, on top of all the local trends, and offering prop bets that you'd never even imagine existed, from same-game parlays to a best-in-class casino featuring thousands of games and live 24-7 dealers. And now introducing The Locker Room, the first of its kind in Canada, a live watch party for the biggest games of the week. Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Go to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN to open an account. Bet local. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. And if you have questions or concerns about gambling or the gambling of someone close to you, please go to connexontario.ca. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? Powered by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Always remember to bet local. Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Act show for a Monday. A whole bunch of news and notes to get to. Joseph Wall out week to week. Cal Connor on the knee on knee. A really weird situation between Columbus and Florida over the weekend. John Tavares is, is about what, two points away from a thousand. There's a lot of these random news and notes we got to get to. We're getting Connor versus Connor this week. Uh, I'll give you your space to grieve over the baseball news over the weekend. Uh, ask grieving, CJ man. Well. Cowboys just beat the Eagles. Okay, we don't need to get into your NFL agenda. Uh, There's there is no agenda. agenda. I'm just saying that it's Monday morning. That's the last thing that I saw Sunday night before putting my head on the pillow. I'm yeah, in a but, great mood. This is going to yeah, be an awesome week. But CJ, this isn't the athletic NFL show. That's fine. The, the, the OGs <laughs> that have been with us for a few years, they know that I'd be happy with a Cowboys win. I take a lot of shit for being a Cowboys fan. So yeah, on the just, good days, I'm just saying there's nothing to grieve. This is all, this is all butter. Everything's good. Well, okay, that's a good way to cope from the other news I was trying to tease that happened this weekend, unless you really don't want to talk about it. Do no, you want to talk, talk about, about it? it? Yeah, we could talk I know about we'll, it. We'll talk about it. Uh, but first, we should talk about the Edmonton Oilers, a team that at the beginning of the year we had a lot of high hopes for, and they had a terrible start to their year. Uh, they have since rebounded, uh, winners of seven in a row, they are level with the Calgary Flames on points uh, with the uh, tied for fourth best in the Pacific. Only a couple points off of a wild card playoff spot right now. I was just curious. What do you make of the Edmonton Oilers doing everything they can to salvage their year and make it into the playoffs? It, it, just before New Year's, they look like a completely new team. Yeah, I mean, they've almost completely erased, I guess, the, the hole that they dug themselves, the massive, the wasn't just a hole. Was it like the grand Canyon of holes that the Oilers were in, you know, early in the season. And, and, you know, I don't know how to view this. Look, we talked about this team at the start of the year. I think we're both on the same page. And certainly they were a cup contender, if not a favorite, mm -hmm. uh, depending on how you viewed it. I, I was just surprised to see them hit the depths they did within the first, you know, six weeks of the season. I'm a little less surprised to, to see where they are now. Um, and, you know, what a strange year of extremes already. Uh, for that organization. But I think that the, the high level takeaway for me, Julian, is that they can now just kind of play. Like I realize they're not in a playoff position as of this minute, but that they're close enough touch of one that, that I think that they don't have to stress over every, you know, two game losing streak that might come along. I think if they just do their thing 
basically win somewhere close to two out of every three games or, you know, three out of every five, maybe statistically, you know, that they're probably going to be okay. And, you know, the thing that, that jumps out the most, I mean, there's been a coaching change. Um, some other things have gone on, but, you know, you're seeing Connor McDavid in particular, just light the world on fire. I mean, at one point earlier this year in November, he was like 90th in league scoring. He jumped into the top 10 with like a monster week. And, and, you know, he's, I'm not saying that he's single-handedly lifted them to all these wins, but certainly he's been a big driving force behind a lot of success for the Oilers and him looking like himself again, I think is most encouraging because, you know, we do know he was playing at less than hundred percent earlier in the season. And maybe, you know, they did have a pretty big break in the schedule there. Actually time for Connor McDavid to fly back to Toronto and take a spot on Canada's walk of fame uh, yeah. in the middle of the season. And, and, you know, you just wonder maybe if some of that time off has either refreshed his body or mind, but um yeah, everything everything's cooking again in Edmonton. And, and to your point about that time off, uh, some teams above them in the standings right now, the St. Louis Blues, two points ahead of them, Arizona and Nashville in wildcard spots. Edmonton has a game in hand on, on Arizona. They have three games in hand on Nashville. They have a, two games in hand on St. Louis. That time off, I mean, they could make up some of that ground. And if they win some of those games and some of those other teams fall off, telling you like this team could put itself back into a playoff position where we all expected they would be it's it's a remarkable like first half season turnaround i can't think of any other team that's done anything like that if they they actually do this well they just plummeted basically straight to the bottom of the standings where no one ever thought they'd spend even one day let alone a couple weeks and then they've ripped right back up into the middle of the pack and and it won't it won't surprise me if they just go and have a the kind of regular season from this point on we would have expected them to have and make the playoffs comfortably. And, and we'll probably talk about how there were some positives about the way the season started. I mean, certainly nothing positive about having, you know, a couple of coaches fired by the bench. Um, but I just mean in terms of maybe bringing the group together that, that they, they really, they, they went through some things in the early going and maybe they've, they've found a way to pull themselves out of it. Um, it's, it's, it's weird. I mean, sports are so strange uh, in terms of how you end up in this spot. But, uh, you know, I still think Edmonton is a team that that will look for goaltending as time goes along. I mean, here's another factor, right? That It's just taking some heat off the, the, the idea that you have to make this move today just to make a move. You know, that's sort of what I was saying even too. I don't think they need to be fixated on the standings just yet. They've, you almost needed the seven-game win streak, though, to counterbalance how bad the start was. You know, because remember at that time, everyone was doing that. They need to play at a 106-point pace from here on in to – to yep. just make the playoffs, all the, all those sort of numbers. Well, now they don't have to do that. Now you've won seven in a row. You almost just like throw everything out together. And you're like, okay, we're, we're somewhere we, we want to be. And I think they can just go play. Um, and you know, the West is a weird conference again this year. Like there's, there's a couple teams at the very bottom that look to be quite bad. You know, I'm looking at, you know, Chicago. I know San Jose has won some games, but don't think it's going to be a, a great year there. I mean, Seattle has been a little puzzling, um, in terms of just, you know, how far back they are. I, I just think there's lots of runway here for Edmonton to, to cruise into the playoffs. And then obviously they got to figure out how they're going to get through teams like LA or Vegas, um, you know, who look like they're, they're going to be strong once again, as, as we get into the second half of the season soon. Uh, you mentioned Chicago, a fascinating game uh, tomorrow between uh, the Chicago Blackhawks and the Edmonton Oilers. We get our first uh, Connor versus Connor. Uh, we get uh, Connor McDavid, and Connor Bedard against each other. Um, there's a fast. There's a good piece up on the uh, the athletic website. Uh, could Connor McD- could Connor McDavid 
and Connor Bedard forge the NHL's next great rivalry. Uh, rivalry. You, know, you should check that out. Mark Lazarus and Daniel Nugent Bowman put that together. What do you make of Connor versus Connor? What do you make of that matchup? The superstar potential in both of those Connors playing against each other. I've said Connor a lot, by the way, the last yeah. few moments. You know, it's funny. I've covered a lot of these type of games in my career, and and there's like certainly a lot of curiosity there, right? Like it when you have two of the most supremely gifted offensive players on the ice in one game on opposite sides. I mean, it would be like going back in time and seeing a Gretzky versus Lemieux game or, or something of that nature. Um, you know, it's probably much cooler for Connor Bedard, if we're being honest, uh, you know, just cause he grew up watching Connor McDavid and, you know, while he's had his first two around the NHL here, he's, you know, seen other stars, including Sidney Crosby and others, and Austin Matthews that he's played against already this year. You know, I think there'll be something special about that. You know, whether or not this becomes a rivalry, I think the, I think the the jury's out. I mean, we need we need to align like the moon and the stars, where you know we're talking about Chicago becoming a Stanley Cup contender in somewhere in the nearish future, and and Edmonton remaining one. You know, I'm not saying it won't happen. It, it's just right now there's no rivalry between the teams. Um, but I mean that's. That I mean, that would be pretty cool, right? I mean, you're, you're talking amazing. about you, you, you know, you want to see like Magic and Bird in in the final against each other, right? Or or could have been Gretzky Lemieux. They never played in a final against each other, but stuff like that. That's that's sort of where those rivalries are made. I mean, the Crosby Ovechkin thing was a rivalry because they entered the league at the same time. Obviously, they 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 almost took turns winning the major awards early in their careers. But then the Penguins and Capitals played four or five times in the playoffs. And, and, you know, played game sevens against each other. You know, they had dueling hat trick games with Crosby Ovechkin. That, that's what made that rivalry more than just a media created thing. I think that there was a genuine rivalry because the teams were, were standing in each other's way constantly. You know, we don't have that today with the Oilers and, and Blackhawks entering this game. But I, that being said, I'm, I'm certainly not pouring cold water on it. I'll watch the game. I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, how Bedard in particular plays and, and, you know, it's just it's just kind of cool. I mean, it, let's face it. You don't you don't get talents like that on the ice together every single night in two games. And and you know, I'm sure it's one that Bedard will remember. Um, it's funny. I went down to Pittsburgh and covered I think a couple times when McTavid first played Crosby. Like man, the the, the torch keeps getting passed, and I just keep sitting up here in the press box getting a little grayer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for one of those. Um, one more thing, just before we, we get to sports interaction, just on the topic of, of McDavid versus Bedard, how much do you think the NHL needs that type of rivalry, a player versus player dynamic? Like, like the Crosby Ovechkin years, a lot of people, especially those who listen to the show, grew up in that era, watching the Penguins and the Capitals battle each other in the playoffs, the dueling hat tricks in the playoffs. Remember that? How much do you think the league needs a player versus player type of rivalry? Well, I don't think it hurts, right? I mean, it, it gives you something. If you're just a casual, if you're just someone who doesn't follow one team every game or, or you're not watching three or four or 10 games a week of the NHL, but you, you find out that game's on, like, I, I think it does draw casual eyeballs. I also feel like it can't really be forced, though, and that's that's where it's tricky. Like, I hard for me to be critical of the league or anything like that because we don't necessarily have something of that nature in this moment. I mean, let's face it. Some, some of the things that work against hockey are, are kind of obvious. The players are, are wearing helmets. Uh, like you don't get to see their expressions quite as much. 
So you don't, again, if you're just casual, if you're not digging in and reading, you know, these great 1500 word stories on, on sites like the athletic, like you might not get to know all the stories behind the story. And, and, you know, I think basketball in some ways better lends itself to that. Obviously just, you know, the best basketball players are on the court for most, if not all the game. Um, And, you know, there's just, it's, so hockey, you know, being a team sport, I think it's a little harder to play that up, but, you know, I think that we should encourage individualism. I know we've been sort of consistent on that. So that doesn't always mean, you know, player X versus player Y, but I mean, at least I think that, that we should play up some of the aspects of the game beyond just the game. And, you know, something like this will fall together naturally at some point in time, though. I, I don't, it's hard to know where it's going to be, but, you know, like look at last year's cup final, like Florida, Vegas, there, there, there's nothing between those, those cities that was, that you could really, amplify in a legitimate way there's no you know no individuals on the team where you're like it's Aaron Eckblad versus Jack Eichel like there was nothing I mean they obviously spent time on uh, they spent time on the ice against each other in that series don't get me wrong but it's it's you know I I don't think you can fake it you know Crosby Ovechkin is probably the closest that I can think of in my years in the league just because they end up playing in the same division their teams were both you know top teams for years and years and years and so by virtue of the way that this playoff format works, they, they had to go through each other all the time. You know, I think there's years there where Washington lost to Pittsburgh, where they probably feel had they got through that round that they might've won a Stanley cup sooner than they ultimately did. And that's, that's the kind of rivalry, but I, I don't know how we can fake it unless, unless we end up getting like, you know, super teams in the NHL and players sort of taking advantage of their free agency and loading up like that. I, I'm not sure that, that we're ever going to have that fall into place just so. You know, I think the biggest issue in Chicago right now when I look at it is they're they're a long way away from being a long way away, it feels like. That's not on Connor Bedard. He's obviously done you know an awesome job individually this season, playing with, you know, not the strongest, you know, teammates, you know, facing tough competition. He still put up a lot of points and goals. Um, you know, we just need the we just need the team around him to get better as soon as possible because it might, you know, he's he might be the rare generational player that's got to wait a few years to play a playoff game. I mean, typically we've seen, you know, the Penguins missed the, the playoffs in Crosby's first year and then made it for whatever, 16 years in a row after that, before missing in last year, you know, the Leafs got in with Matthews right away. You know, they had other young players and a better supporting cast. Um, you know, McDavid, I think it was a couple of years, but then, you know, Edmonton has been a regular playoff team most of his career. You know, it's going to be going to be an uphill climb there. I think for the Blackhawks, uh, even with having Connor Bedard, just because, they're starting from way back in the pack. Isn't that all the more reason to hype up these regular season games though? Uh, just, yeah, man, I'm all for the hype. Yeah. Sorry. I feel like maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't bring the hype man to this segment enough. I was, I'm just thinking like, it's just kind of a curiosity to me. I don't know how much it really matters in the grand scheme of things, but if they both get hat tricks on Tuesday night, we're That's probably we're still going to talk gonna, about. We're going to want to talk about this on Thursday again. Right. So, I mean, Let's 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 cheer for that. I'm not cheering for any team or even any individual in that game, but it would be great to see them both put on a show. I mean, that that would be fun. All right. Let's get to David Bastel for Sports Interaction, and then we'll get to the other side of the CJ show. It's all part of the game. Yeah, I just gotta go hard. Welcome to You Can Bet That. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. CJ. It's not too early to uh, look at the uh, president's trophy possibilities on Sports Interaction's website. The New York Rangers have the best odds at plus 425. Uh, the Kings at 5-1, to one, trailing behind them. The Bruins, Avalanche, and Stars round out our top five. What say you for this year's president's trophy? 
Well, where are the Golden Knights? That's the first thought that's coming to my mind here. Golden Knights are tied on the same at odds as the Dallas Stars at plus 750. There you go. I mean, they've had such a strong start to the year and winning a cup last year. And, and you know, when I look at these things, it's always like, okay, who's incentivized to win? Who's going to be pushed to win? Who's going to prioritize this? I mean, I think it's fair if you're in, you know, if you're in Vegas right now and you've already got a Stanley Cup banger hanging around the ice, it's fair to say when we get into February, March, April, maybe they won't be pushing for a president's trophy. Hard to know for sure. Um, but, you know, I, I'm kind of inclined to lean towards Vegas. I mean, the, the Rangers have had a strong wow. start to the year. Is that a hot take? I mean, just considering that the Rangers are, are are good, the Kings have been really good this year. Well, all the Actually, teams are good. I mean, come on, we're talking about yes, the top the, of the league right now. Yeah, that that's true. But I mean, like, well, you know what? I'll say this: the Vegas Golden Knights have been slept on. They did have that hot start. They've kind of faded a little bit. So I, I don't know. I mean, no, I don't think it's that far fetched. I'll give you no, that. but I, but you know, going back to the original point, and it's the one thing we, it's hard to answer is who's going to care about this enough to to push it through and to, to play hard, even, you know, cause all these teams in the mix, you just mentioned, they're all probably clinching a playoff spot in early to mid March. And they're going to have a little bit of garbage time at the end of the year, just in terms of games that don't really matter in, in a huge way in the standings for them. And so it's hard to put my finger on that, but I'm, I'm leaning towards Vegas. I, I don't know. I'm in a Vegas frame of mind today. I guess it's the fact that they currently lead the league as we're recording this in points, and it is extremely difficult to be the number one team wire to wire. We saw Boston try to do that last year. I mean, they did for the regular season. Didn't work out for them in the playoffs. But at the end of the day, we're doing this for President's Trophy odds and not necessarily for Stanley Cup. So, hey, maybe you could take the Vegas Golden Knights at plus 750. Again, tied with the Dallas Stars on odds. You can get the full list on the Sports Interaction website. Don't forget to check out sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all the best odds before game, in game, and the best props. Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Busy weekend in the NHL. Some injuries to talk about. Which one, which story is uh, a little bit more... It's kind of weird to talk about it with injuries, but which one do you want to start with first? There's there's Kyle Connor who takes the knee on knee against the Anaheim Ducks. I believe he should be evaluated today. Joseph Wall uh, gets hurt in Toronto. Uh, he should be out week to week. We have a little bit more with that, but which of these two injury stories should we start with first? Well, we'll start with Connor. It's the most recent fresh in mind. The game Sunday night in Anaheim takes that that knee from Ryan Strom, and you know there's no good way to sugarcoat this. I mean, the jets no. have had a better than expected for most start to the season. Kyle Connors just filled the net with goals and, and is a huge part of their offense. And while we don't have exact clarification of the extent of his, you know, presumed knee injury here, you know, it doesn't look good. I mean, he, he's taken off the ice immediately. He doesn't return to the game. Uh, you, I mean, we've seen those kind of hits happen in hockey and, and often with sort of devastating outcomes in terms of long-term absences, and so I've got no reason to believe um, it's not going to be something that isn't going to keep Connor on the shelf for some period of time here. And that, you know, that's tough for a team like Winnipeg. I mean, he, he is their, their preeminent goal scorer. And, you know, that, that's, that's been a huge part of the success early in the season. I'm not out here saying they can't withstand it. They do have a pretty deep set of lines. I think that's, that's one of the positives of this particular Jets team is they can, you know, roll out four pretty strong lines and, and, grind out wins that way. And obviously having Connor Hellebuck in net, you know, pretty good blue line. I mean, this is, this is a good team, but you know, you, you lose your best player. It doesn't, 
doesn't look or feel too good. I don't think on this Monday morning, if you're around the jets, do you think the uh, hit from Ryan Strom is suspendable? I think it is. Um, it's not to say he will be as of this moment. There's, there's been no clarification yet from NHL player safety. They had a pretty busy weekend, Julian. I don't know if you were keeping track. Did. It felt like uh, every couple hours, there was a new hearing being announced, including one that's going to be an in-person hearing with David Perron, meaning he can be suspended more than five games. There's also an Erica Branson situation that George yeah. Peros and his staff were dealing with. And so, I don't know if there's a, a timing issue there, but but certainly I, I think the the, the way that in, that that hit goes down is just it's just a bad hit or a bad collision knee on knee. Um, you know, Ryan Strom's ejected from that game, and and it wouldn't at all surprise me if we're talking about some form or degree of supplemental discipline coming his way uh, in the wake of this. Yeah, let's hold the thought on the uh, weekend that player safety had because you're right the. Uh, David Perron getting getting the uh, getting called up. Eric Branson, we're going to mention that as well. Just want to mention Joseph Wall as he will be out week to week with a high ankle sprain. Seemed like it was a pretty tough deal for him uh, to get that because it seemed like he was playing really well over the weekend. Yeah, well, I mean, look, he was the game in Ottawa where he got injured. It was his fifth straight start for the Leafs. He clearly taken control of the crease. That might have been his best NHL game to that point. You know, Toronto was under siege for parts of the night, and and he'd made several sort of highlight reel saves. He'd stopped 29 or 31 shots and they were into the third period with the lead. And it's the most innocent looking shot of them all is where he gets injured. He was just sort of trying to push off and, and something didn't go right with his ankle. You know, it's been told to me, Julian, by, by players in the past that like you'd almost rather break something than have a high ankle sprain. I think that just the, the level of discomfort that comes with it, even when you're quote unquote healthy, like I, I a lot of players have told me over the years that, they never feel quite right with their ankle, even once it's sort of back to a, a spot where they can skate and compete. I, I'm sure a goalie somewhere has got had this injury, but I don't, I don't remember it. It's sort of unusual, but given the movements of a goaltender, you just wonder how this is going to play out. I think the Leafs, they're not being, um, they're not being deceptive with the, the injury timeline. I think they truly don't know, uh, you know, week to week just means don't expect them back anytime soon, but we don't know if it's four weeks or eight weeks. Uh, or somewhere in the middle of those two potential outcomes. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough blow for wall because I think he really was taking flight uh, in the Leafs crease. I think that this is, if you're looking for a positive is the fact the Leafs do have Martin Jones as their number three goaltender. I think that that brings with it some comfort, you know, it helps too that Ilya Samsonov in his first game after walls injured uh, has a shutout on the weekend against Nashville. And so you know, he's been looking for traction on his season. Perhaps this is the moment because obviously I think, you know, as long as things go okay for him, he's going to get the majority of the starts moving forward. But the Leafs have a busy December schedule here leading into the the holiday break. And so they're going to need both guys. And I, I do think there's some benefit to having, you know, a goaltender, Martin Jones, who you're not counting on him to steal you games, but he's played over 400 in the NHL, uh, won a lot of games in Seattle last year. I think there's there's comfort in that. And Remember, they put a, a sneaky clause in his contract whereby on the day that they planned to put him on waivers at the end of training camp, he was owed a $100,000 bonus the next day. And that was you know meant to be a disincentive for other teams to claim him on waivers. Ultimately, no one did. And uh, I'm sure in the front office of the Leafs, they're feeling happy that that was the outcome because um, you know this, this might be a little tougher if you're dealing with a struggling Ilya Samsonov and maybe a younger goaltender from the AHL coming in uh, as, as his backup in this situation. I think having Jones there is going to be a benefit as, as Joseph Wall recovers and gets back to the Toronto net. Uh, you mentioned Nashville. Uh, Tyson Berry 
getting the opportunity to uh, play over the weekend. What's the latest with him and the trade request and everything that's kind of swirling around him? Yeah, it was a crazy week for him. And, you know, I had a chance actually to speak to him a little bit on Saturday morning in Toronto when, when the Predators were visiting. And, and, you know, I think the one thing that hasn't changed is, is you know, he, he'd like a fresh start or like somewhere else to be, um, you know, as we've talked about in prior shows, it's not always easy to make those trades uh, at this point in time because Nashville, you know, can't retain salary on them or, or is unwilling to retain salary on them because they already have two players like that. So that would that would restrict them for the rest of the year from being able to do that in other deals. And I think, you know, you probably don't want to box yourself in that way in the front office. So, you know, the reality is he and they have to kind of make this work for the time being. I mean, we're only a little bit more than a week away from the, the holiday roster freeze. Uh, which runs from late night, December 19th through to December 28th, the morning there. And so, you know, I think it's entirely possible that the Tyson Berry is going to be in Nashville for the next few weeks at minimum, um, you know, but he was scratched for three games out of four a, a week ago. And, and he hadn't endured scratches uh, since really he was just first breaking into the league in Colorado more than a decade ago. And and so I don't think the fit is quite there uh, with him and the Predators. I mean, obviously you're on a team with Roman Yossi, uh, you know, power play minutes and, and sort of offensive minded minutes for a defenseman are going to be, there's going to be less opportunity um, because he's going to be naturally soaking those up. Um, you know, remember the Predators went out and signed Luke Shen, another right shot this year. So that sort of has, has added to their depth and they, they, they feel they have eight NHL defensemen right now. They're almost basically doing a rotation. They actually sat Shen out for a game on Sunday in Montreal. Um, you know, and so they've been sort of rotating players in and out. And and I would imagine Tyson Berry will probably be rotated in and out in the meantime. But, you know, he's he's in the final year of a contract. I think that there's certainly teams that feel that he can help them. But, you know, with a four and a half million dollar cap hit there, you know, I think ideally he'd like to end up somewhere with a chance to to chase a playoff spot or win. Um, but, you know, more than anything, I think he wants to play and and his his minutes and opportunities just haven't been there in Nashville. And you know, it's funny, Julian, when he when that trade was made last year. Matias Ekholm went to Edmonton. I think the Predators were pretty happy with what they got from Tyson Berry down the stretch. You know, that was, that seemed to be a good fit. It's just more with some of the additions they've made, maybe a change in the coaching staff. Um, You know, and the fact that Tyson Berry hasn't performed up to, you know, the level that they expect of him, you know, he's kind of found himself lost in the shuffle here. And so, yeah, I think it's kind of awkward because everything spilled out publicly. You know, he comes through Toronto. There's, there's, a scrum started by me, you know, the reporters, like you're, you're, like you're, but you're sitting there, you know, you've got to talk about it publicly. Like it's, it's just not the most comfortable thing. Now, the one thing Tyson did say though, he said, I'm not the first player to go through this and I won't be the last. And that's certainly the truth. I think, you know, the outcome that he and they want is a trade, but the truth is that trade might still take some time. I feel like I'm putting you through a speed round right now with the, I like the it. Of topics we're coming up. This is good. Uh, Jesse Pugliarvi signing a PTO in Pittsburgh. What say you? Well, look, the latest player coming back from a significant hip procedure in, in, in Jesse Pugliarvi's case, he had the resurfacing done on both sides of his hip uh, after last season. You know, we're talking about a former fourth overall pick who's had hip trouble, who's been a bit of a polarizing player, I think, from his time, especially in Edmonton, you know, where he showed himself to be a very good forechecker, um, you know, always produced strong underlying numbers, didn't uh, maybe didn't pr- produce – you know, the counting stats you want to see in terms of goals and assists Um, and, you know, being a fourth overall pick just by virtue of that, you know, a lot is expected of you. You know, he was in that draft. Remember with, with line a Matthews, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois at the top, 
like that, you know, a lot of those players became pretty impactful players right out of the gate uh, in the markets they went to. And maybe success has not been there for Pugliarvi. But, you know, I, I like the the fit. I mean, Pittsburgh has, has lost Brian Rust here in the last week or so to an injury. You know, they're, they're scuffling a bit in the standings. I think if you look up and down their lineup, there, there's maybe a lack of depth there. And, you know, they bring him in on a PTO so they can get a look at him, you know, have him practice as he did over the weekend. There's there's no commitment to a contract just yet. And and see if there's there's a you know an opportunity where he might play. But from Pooley Arby's end of it, if you are healthy and if you earn a contract, I mean he could literally find himself playing with Sidney Crosby in the near future. So I think that the opportunity there is is pretty evident for him. And you know, I feel like we're just on this, we're like in this new precipice. Like can these can these guys with hip surgeries, I know we've talked about it a bit, like, can, can they come back? Can they be impactful? You know, one that I actually forgot to mention in our last episode is Brad Marchand came off a, a hip procedure uh, before last season, uh, missed some time at the start of the year, but obviously he's uh, continued to be a top player. You know, Patrick Kane just scored his first goal in, in Detroit after signing there over the weekend. And now you have Pooley Arvey trying to work his way back. And so, you know, I do think a lot of advancements have been made in this, this regard. And, and, you know, obviously for Pooley Arvey, if he's able to move around the ice, and, and, and get his mobility back, you know, being such a big man, being a strong four checker. I mean, there's no reason that can't work with other offensive players. If you're someone who's going in there and helping them get the, the puck back, uh, you know, allowing their offensive skills to do what they will. I mean, I could see him being an effective player. I just, I don't know where we're going to, we're going to see him, but you know, in talking to, to people around him in the last few months, I know he's worked very hard on his recovery. He actually got operated uh, on by the same surgeon as Patrick Kane. And so, um, you know, just sort of see how things play out in Pittsburgh. But I, I, I can understand why he chose to go there because I do think they have a need um, for wingers and, and, you know, maybe not an abundance of cap space to make a trade, but they might be able to squeeze Pugliarvi in and could be a win-win situation for the team and the player. Okay. Now we get to uh, the action around uh, player safety. Uh, Eric Goodbranson will have a phone hearing after his back and forth with Nick Cousins, which I got to say for the, the hit that Nick put on Eric, before the the incident that I believe they're they're putting in question here. Really bad hit. Like I I just need that said because I don't know how that goes off the way that it does. And then Eric Branson is the one getting called to the carpet. And then you have David Perron in Detroit, uh, who will have an in-person hearing after his incident with Art and Zub of the Ottawa Senators. Obviously that game had a scary moment with with Dylan Larkin too. Like that was was a bit of a tough bit of a tough watch. Uh but what did you make of the of the busy weekend for the NHL's department of player safety. Yeah. Well, no one's in the holiday spirit, right? I mean, what's with all no. this? It feels like the temperature got turned up on the games around the weekend, which, you know, let's face it. It's an emotional sport. We don't like seeing players injured or those crossing the line, but, but you know, some of the best hockey is intense hockey. Um, a number of hits sort of from behind, like the cousins hit on good Branson. I'd say we, we saw in, in, in various games that were played, obviously good Branson took matters into his own hands and, and, you know, was, was down for a few seconds there and then came up swinging. Um, you know, he's a hard nosed player. Don't, don't have any problem really with him wanting to defend himself in that manner. I think, I guess the issue is he's, he clearly instigated that fight. It's hard to, would be hard to argue that he didn't, uh, with, with, with the way, I mean, I guess he would argue I instigated the fight after he instigated, after he threw a dirty hit on me in the corner. And, and so, you know, this is what we get into the blame game. Whose fault is it? But, um, you know, I, I think ultimately if Branson ends up with a game or two suspension for him, it, it might be sort of money well spent or, or time well spent because, 
you know, I think he's sending a message um, that, that he's not going to take that sort of thing lying down. I could understand why, you know, the, the Peron issue is a little more nuanced, uh, you know, in that, you know, really scary. You're right. You, you can, you can understand what Peron sees in the moment. He sees his captain out cold on the ice, his, his feet faced, in you know in opposite directions like you can tell he's in a bad spot he sees artem zub standing beside him and i'm presuming didn't know what had happened other than you know he assumed the worst and what do we talk about all the time you you know defending your teammates defending your captain in this case probably defending your best player for detroit or one of your best players um but you, you also can't get away with cross-checking people in the head um like like there's no debate the debate here is that he's getting a phone hearing, right? Or sorry, an in-person yeah. hearing rather. In and person, and yes. so the debate is, you know, that that means that's teeing up the possibility of a pretty significant suspension. And you're talking about a player who's played 1200 NHL games, never previously been suspended or or fined, I don't believe. It's very similar if you remember a couple of years ago, Jason Spezza had had a long long NHL career, never been suspended or fined. He, he initially got a 6-game suspension. Um you know, for kind of a, a need to kneel Pionk's head a little bit. Pionk had, was in an awkward spot. And, and I think Spezza was responding to a hit that on Pionk had laid on Rasmus Sandin at the time and injured Sandin. And he got a six-game suspension out of the box. It was later uh, reduced to five games on appeal. Um, yeah. You know, but it, that's that's the only kind of equivalent. It's not the same action is delivered by Perron. But, you know, someone – it's very out of character for David Perron. I mean, we have we have – years and years and years of examples of him not crossing the line. And in, in the case where he did, it's, it's pretty clear. We don't need to hear his explanation to know what his explanation is. It's clear what he was doing, but he, at the same time, Zub was defenseless, didn't actually do anything in this case and took a pretty vicious cross check to the, the neck area or the side of the head, uh, which is a dangerous play. So, you know, we'll have to see the outcome of that just because you get it. I should mention just because you get an in-person hearing doesn't mean it will be six or seven or 10 games, but it gives George Peros the opportunity or the, or the ability to, to give out something that significant. And, um, you know, ultimately if it ends up six games, for example, or more, you know, he has the right to appeal to a neutral arbitrator. It doesn't just go to Gary Bettman as other appeals do for some shorter suspensions. So, you know, it would be quite a statement for it to end up being six games or more. We'll have to see what, what happens there, but you know, really tough play. And, and, you know, I'm with you. It was, it's just scary seeing Larkin on the ice. And I'm sure that's exactly what Perron felt in that moment and wanted to come to the defense of his, I mean, good intentions, just not a very great outcome for the way everything played out there. Absolutely. Uh, two more quick things before we get to ask CJ of uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, playing against the New York Islanders later today. John Tavares, two points away from 1,000 in his NHL career. I love what we were talking about him just before we started recording today with all the accomplishments and accolades and his career performance to, to this point in his career. Uh, wouldn't it be something if he gets to the 1,000-point mark against the team that drafted him he had spent so much time playing for and given them as much success as he could give them. But of course we know how the end played out with him joining the Toronto Maple Leafs. How fun would that be if John Tavares got point 1000 tonight against the, against the New York Islanders? Well, it'd be pretty poetic. You know, I, I was at that game, the first game back in long Island at Nassau Coliseum at the time after Tavares had signed with the Leafs. I have never ever in my life seen anything quite like that. You know, it's, I, I don't know if you ever got to Nassau Coliseum, but, Quite Never literally, 
there's the Long Island Marriott. There's a huge parking lot and then the building. Like, like you're, you're basically when you go there to cover games and back in the day, you're just looking at the arena and a giant parking lot. And that parking lot was full seven or eight hours before the game. There were people with Tavares sweaters on like that they were running over or spitting on stomping on while they were pre-gaming. You know, you, you remember the snake getting thrown on the ice and, and yes. just, just the vitriol and you know, whatever that's what's done is done, but it just say, like, I've never been in, in something quite as hostile as that. And Tavares to his credit, honestly handled it about as well as you could. I mean, he, he basically took his lumps, so to speak. He had to do a lot of media around that game, as you'd imagine. And just, just, you know, very always just been a super professional guy, but you have to know somewhere inside him as he's preparing for this game that it would be poetic and nice for him to, to get it. I don't, I don't know if he's going to get two points, obviously, to, to hit a thousand, but there, there would be something about that that would be kind of interesting bookends. And, and you know, we'll just have to see how it plays out. I mean, the, the Leafs play the Rangers on Tuesday in New York. So they, you know, he's clearly going to hit this milestone, you know, in the next few days or, or within the next week, I would think. And so, uh, you know, he's got an opportunity to do something not a lot of players would in, in Long Island. And it's, again, it's not just a guy who left the team. It's a guy who left the team and took a lot of crap to do so and now has, you know, at least a chance to to put a cherry on top. I'm sure he'd probably just hope that the Leafs get two, two points in the standings more than the two points individually. Uh, but the two things can, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. They can go together, right? Um, you know, and you look back on 2009, Tavares has more than 100 goals than any other player in that draft. He's got a couple hundred more points than any player in that draft. You know, really the only debate, if you'd want to have one, is Victor Hedman was taken second by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Probably, you know, it, it's, you know, you can't just measure the success by points straight up, but he's been by far the best offensive player from that draft. Maybe somebody would say you want the the minute munching defenseman instead of, you know, if you went back and did a redraft 14, 15 years later. Uh, but either way, I, I don't think either team made out too badly in, in at the top end of that 09 draft. And Tavares can have a chance to remind the Islanders of uh, what he once was and what he still is. Uh, if he can maybe get that milestone on, on their own ice. As someone who always roots for the story, I am rooting for that story. Speaking of stories, uh, let's get to uh, let's get to the painful one before we get to ask CJ here. Shohei Otani uh, joining the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, you know the contract details. You may have also seen some of the discourse that has gone on online about how facts were taken in and 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 some of the the rumors that were flying around. Shame on you for getting into. Uh, that 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 story of the plane traveling from Anaheim to Toronto and having fun with that shame on you for feeling away and thinking that Shoei was in Toronto when he was in Southern California the whole time shame 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 feels like I've seen a lot of that over the last few days I don't necessarily agree with it what do, what do you make of this entire Shohei Otani debacle it's so multi-layered for me because you know, you know, I'm a big Jays fan. I was yes. getting excited just from being a fan of the team about it, but you know, also by nature of the profession you and I have, and and my role specifically is to do something like John Morosi did, and and obviously he was out in front of this story reporting things that just were proven to be completely false, and so I feel sick for him. I, I know John a little bit socially. You know, he's been around Me too. the NHL a little bit uh, with work he's done for the NHL Network. Um, you know, super nice guy, obviously he got bad info or made a mistake. I mean, I, I don't, I don't ultimately know what happened there, but that it literally, that is as a reporter, that is your worst nightmare. I mean, you never want to be wrong, 
but there's sometimes there's a degree of wrong and then there's flat out wrong. And then in this case, there's just such a big story. Um, you know, I have to be honest, I went and bought a bunch of Jays tickets on Friday in anticipation of Otani starting. Um, now in my case, I always knew nothing's done until it's done. And, and I like going to games anyway. So it, I'm not upset about that, but I do wonder, you know, how many people went and say spent a lot of money on opening day tickets or something on the secondary market and, and all that kind of thing, you know, what's done is done. Like, I don't sounds weird. Cause I am a fan, but like, I also look at this, this guy's life. He can go sign wherever he wants, but that it was just a shit storm really all around. I mean, the, the fact that you, you had a good, what eight or 10 hours of anticipation on Friday where people were literally thinking like, he's about to sign in Toronto. He's on this plane. You, you, you know, then John reports he's on, you know, again, I'm not trying to pile on Morosi here. I think anyone who followed the story closely understands his role in, in amping up the excitement around it. And I don't know if it was a case where the Jays were used purely as leverage. I don't know if someone misunderstood something or lied to him. Like it, it's so hard to know. Like I, I'm not behind the scenes, but I just know, you know, occasionally reporting on stories kind of as big as that one, or that, that, you know, have a lot of people paying attention. Like there's just, there's no room to be wrong, frankly. And unfortunately in this case he was, and I think that that almost makes it worse for Jays fans. I mean, you know, had he just signed with the Dodgers, some Jays fans would be disappointed, but I, you know, I think there was a real growing expectation um, that, that he was about to to sign in Toronto and, you know, it didn't happen. Uh, it's going to be going to be interesting when, he, you know, the Dodgers actually visit the Jays in late April. So I, I don't know if people will boo Otani. Like, I don't, I don't know how to feel about that. Like it's his choice. And really anyone being upset, I guess you would only be upset if you really believe him or his agents did something to sort of play to, to extra play with the, the hearts of Jays fans and to screw them to make another hundred million bucks. I mean, I don't know where I land on that, but um, I mean, the contract is eye popping. I mean, 200 million more basically than we've seen for any other North American professional sports athlete to get on a deal. So, I mean, that's, you know, he, he had leverage, but I think he, the, the leverage was used well in negotiations and uh, just a crappy story all around, but I'm hoping we're going to get Cody Bellinger here at the Jays or maybe some other signings. And then those tickets I, I bought will not be, uh, I, I won't be sitting there going like, Oh man, why did I spend all this money on, on tickets thinking I'd be watching Otani and I'm seeing some other version of this team. You still have a good team, man. Guys like Kevin Gosman, Vladdy, Bo Bichette. Like this is still a good team. Exactly. It, it was more specifically that I bought like multi like tickets to each of the first three games. Like there's just no world I would ever go to those first three games, but I mean, whatever. Good problem to have. Maybe I'll give a pair to a friend or something. Like it's not a, there's no, there's no, no animosity my way that way, but I'm sure some people like, who knows like it. Cause he really thought he was, I thought he was signing here. I did. I allowed myself I to believe. Too. Yeah. I'm sorry. I actually feel bad for you guys. Like I, I generally thought he was going to sign. And then just, it felt like after it was revealed, he wasn't in Toronto the whole time like the wind kind of came out the sails and it just this emotional letdown came through. I, I generally feel bad for you guys. And I get it. Like, you know, Cody Belger could sign, but like you already see people online saying, I don't want to go through this again. Wonder if he's going to sign and all that. Like, well, he like, actually well, is in Toronto. If you look at his girlfriend's Instagram and it's verified, it's her. She, and she posted yesterday pictures of the skyline and whatnot. So like, he doesn't mean he's signing here. I mean, he's, he's a free agent. He can visit, you know, once upon a time, Matt Duchesne went and visited Montreal and, and didn't sign with the Canadians, for example. And there's other examples of that. I'm just saying of the ones I can remember off the top of my head. Like, just because he's here doesn't mean he's signing, but the, but the chances 
there's at least you're saying there's a chance there's a real chance like whereas like otani i don't know how real the chance was in the end of the day like yeah. like he never he never got on a plane to toronto i don't know what how that all got misconstrued <laughs> but um you know he went to the the complex in dunedin but you know, that's six weeks of spring training. He was never check sizing up the city that he was going to actually live in for, for several months. Thank you for braving through such a tough topic, CJ. Uh, let's get through some of these questions quickly for Ask CJ. Uh, let's start with uh, Rory. Uh, hey, CJ, do you have a sleeper team to be a seller at the trade deadline? Oh, it's a little early. Yes, we made that clear last week, and uh, we're still getting questions. Well, no, and I, I respect no the question. Shade, I just don't know who counts as a sleeper team. Like you look at the you look at the standings right now. You've got you know Philadelphia having a stronger than expected year. Um, you know Washington's in a playoff spot as of this moment. Um, like I, but I could see those teams end up being sellers. Obviously, we got the the Flyers well represented on the trade board. Uh, that's up at the Athletic. Um, I just don't have the answer. Honestly, I don't have the answer yet. I need to see a bit more. And, you know, I certainly think that any team though, that's on the line or out of the playoff picture by the end of February will consider being a seller. I just, there's a lot of reason to do so. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't see it being like any of the top, top teams, which is probably what you meant by sleeper teams. Like if I came out and was like, well, I think the Leafs are going to be a seller or something like that. You'd be like, Whoa, well, to be clear, they will not be a seller, but, um, I, I, I don't, I don't see any of the absolute sort of cup favorite type of teams. I don't see Edmonton being a seller almost under any circumstances, for example. Um, but we'll, don't worry, we're going to keep giving you the, all the trade talk you need on these future episodes. Oh, we definitely will. From K town two, two, seven, two. What do you think the Vancouver Canucks would be looking for in return for Andre Kuzmenko? Well, I still think they wouldn't mind bolstering the D a little bit. And, and that comes even after the Nikita Zadorov trade, of course. Um, but, you know, most teams would, you know, want more depth back there that are that are preparing for a long playoff run. You know, I'm not certain that they're going to move Kuzmenko by any stretch, but, you know, you can't miss the fact he's been sat out for a couple games. His ice time is down. Obviously, his production is down. And, you know, it's only signed for one more year. So if you're another team that maybe feels that you can offer him the sort of role that brought him success last season and that, you know, it would make sense that you would ex at least explore that with the Canucks and, you know, the Canucks are of a mind where they're, they're looking to clear cap space all the time, right? That's been a consistent theme there. They've, they've managed to do it a little bit. We had the Anthony Bovillier trade. You know, I would think if they get to a position um, where, where they're going to move Kuzmenko that they might look for another forward back too, just because, you know, you're already down Bovillier. If you, if you remove Kuzmenko there, I mean, you're, you're maybe thinning things out a little bit, up front, but you know, I, I don't think there's a trade the Canucks have to make, but but it's certainly a situation to continue to monitor, uh, especially if Kuzmenko isn't able to get a little more traction with that coaching staff. Okay, from Mike underscore S four one two, CJ, as a big golf fan, how do you feel about the golf ball rollback, both for pros and amateurs? I don't have a strong opinion on this one. I, I think as long as the pros are on an even playing field, you know, I've got no problem with it. Um, look, it, part of it is like some of the most famous golf courses in the world are like 80, a hundred years old or even older. And if technology has, 
has made some of the, the hazards that were put on those courses just meaningless because guys can hit the, the ball so far. And one of the reasons they're hitting it so far is the technology. I can understand the desire to try to restrict that technology because, you know, we, you can't just forever be building new golf courses for, for players to play on that are getting longer and longer and longer. When it comes for the average, you know, weekend player, I, I don't, problem is, 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 you know, golf balls don't last forever, but I'd say I have no problem with them having juiced up golf balls. Like if it makes the game more fun, you know, for the, for the average person just playing with their buddies or their dad or whatever. I mean, I'd say just have at it. I don't, I don't care if you break any rules. I don't care if you carry 15 clubs in your bag, even though there's a restriction on PJ tour players. I don't care. I think anything that makes the game enjoyable, if you're not competing for money or competing professionally have at it. Um, but, but certainly for the, for the pros, I can understand the desire to do it. I just, just hope there's a way to make sure everyone's on an even playing field and that there's not ways to cheat within that. And, and I don't know how they're going to enforce all that because this is still a couple of years down the road. And that's going to do it for today's edition of the Chris Johnston show. Be sure to subscribe to the SDPN YouTube page and to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on Spotify, Apple podcasts, we are everywhere you want to listen to podcasts. We'll be back on Thursday with a brand new episode. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long and peace. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Always remember to bet local. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK and McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.